sex educator, sex and relationship coach, and sex shop owner. And I'm April, VP of an international high-end pleasure products company and boss queen sex toy mogul. We're best friends who make our own rules about who we are as sexual beings. With everything from how to be a badass in the bedroom to top tips for bringing your relationship to the next level, we have something just for you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Don't forget to head on over to our website at shamelesssex.com for more. And for 15% off of some of our favorite sex toys, use coupon code SHAMELESSPP in all caps at purepleasureshop.com. You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Well, hello, everyone. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Shameless Sex Podcast. This episode is much needed. April and I were talking today how we haven't had a full episode on STIs, STDs. I prefer STIDs and STIs. Yeah. <laughs> STIs. 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 Um, sexually transmitted diseases, infections. And if you're already like, ah, oh, shit, I'm going to tune out. That sounds boring. Uh, there's really important information for you if you are a sexually active person, um, if you are someone that has children, uh, if you are per- potentially going to be sexually active again with someone new, if you are sexually active with a current partner and you haven't been tested in a long time. There's a lot of reasons why this may apply to you so stay tuned it's not the one that's like ooh, yeah the juiciest and sexiest but it's much needed information and we have a doctor here dr remy nurse practitioner nurse Nurse practitioner (laughs) i want to call you doc you're my doctor though sti i'm your primary care provider oh there you go oh yeah a pcp uh, I, uh, I still want to call you doctor. I feel like stids <laughs> and styes, <laughs> they affect everyone in some way. I mean, we have to we have to think of that at least as something that, right? I, I, this yeah. is important for everyone. I, I don't know. I feel like if you or someone you know would be affected by this, if you're having sex. We're living, yeah, living in the uh, modern day and age. Granted, you know, if you maybe lost your I don't hate losing your virginity the first time that you had sex with someone was their first time that you had, they had sex and then you are still together 50 years later and no one had any affairs or cheating or uh, saw a sex worker or um, toilet seat mishap <laughs> rub their genitals all does that over. happen Remy? Uh, it would be like <laughs> one in a zillion okay, so it okay. doesn't really happen Pretty there's rare. no reported so saying there's a chance <laughs> and a lot of times people are just really afraid of STIs so they don't want to talk about them so they'd rather not it's it's good to talk about them it's good to talk about them with all your loved ones yeah i think that uh set conversations around stis stds with new lovers uh you can make it sexy and we can talk a little more about how to have these conversations because we have a sex question about that Um, but remy maybe you can start with because you are a nurse practitioner and i like to call you doctor (laughs) tell our listeners more about about who you are, what you do, the kind of work you do with patients. Um, yeah, give them a little 411. And then also, what is a nurse practitioner? A lot of people probably like, I don't know what that means. Yeah, so I always wanted to do primary care. Uh, actually, my first career was as a body worker. Uh, so I did body work for about 13 years. Well, so you know the body, but not sexological body work. No. As a nurse practitioner, I work really closely with all my physician colleagues, asking them questions when I see something I haven't seen before. Um, I have one physician that reads all my notes and signs off on them. 
them, will send me questions. She'll maybe say, order this test. And so I get a little bit of extra mentorship Mm. on my way, but it's very much autonomous and uh, at the same time collaborative because we all work together so and you said even today you saw some like patients that were 14 and then 86 which i thought was so interesting and we were commenting on uh some of our experiences with nurse practitioners was actually better or more ideal and and i've had some other nurse friends that say that if you can depending on the the thing that you're going for the nurse practitioner seems to be give you be able to give you a little more attention they have a little more time maybe there's some things that um, you can't always address, but you have these other folks that you can uh, always see or ask questions to. So my experience has been much, I feel more tended to cared for and almost that the nurse practitioners have cared more. It's not as clinical feeling. And I mean, for Western medicine, sometimes you feel like you're just a number and you roll in and there's a a clipboard and it's like, you're checking boxes. And I'm like, what are you checking? Like, what are you, and the nurse practitioner talks to you (laughs) and kind of asks you about your experiences. And I've had really, really great experiences with uh, nurse practitioners and another training is just as intensive. So it's intensive training. The training is different in that um, I came to become a nurse practitioner out of seven years of working as a nurse, which is a very different role where you're still following physician's orders. And then you go to a two-year training program and then you do about a thousand hours of clinical training versus a physician goes to four years of medical school and then they have a minimum of three-year residency. So there is more training involved with a physician. And so that being said, said, um, I come, I can approach it with a more holistic mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole nursing process is different than the medical mindset, which is a lot more clinical and didactic. Yeah, um, and so the combination is kind of what you want when you're trying to get some complex health issues. I love yeah, anything holistic that it, yeah, holistic uh, for folks who don't know what holistic means. I mean, there's probably a lot of definitions for it, but it's like an you know, entire integration of all aspects of you and your, you know, your body, your spirit, your mental health, including everything there and not just breaking you down into little parts. Not just being like, here, pop this pill. This is going to be a solution. This is a pill for it's your like, pussy. Wait, let's assess all the angles. Mm-hmm. What are you, what are you eating for breakfast? Are you getting a lot of anal penetration? Or is that one? I don't know if that's the one. <laughs> I ask about it from time to time if people have, have anal yeah. complaints. Yeah. But I really do stress the basics of um, health, which is are you sleeping enough? Yeah. Are you eating? Yeah. Are you getting yeah. exercise? Do you have somebody to hug? Do you have friends you can call? What's a perfect day look like for you? Um, so all of those things getting in order. I could prescribe all the pills in the world, all the supplements in the world, and if people aren't getting their really basic if they're not sleeping and they don't realize how important that is, then nothing I do is going to make them healthy. I think, you know, just to, to get this podcast uh, really just supercharged, I want to <laughs> share with, I've never shared this on the podcast before. <gasps> and I will because I feel like it's, Exciting. when I was 17, I was diagnosed with a, with a lifelong STD. And uh, when I was in the, the room with the doctor, um, I had only had one partner, um, penis and vagina partner. So I, I had had the face. <laughs> Not just through this story. There's other reasons why. But I, don't I even did. Know him, but, but I'm like, I went to. <laughs> I did have. I did have partners before with like oral and stuff. But uh, when I when I had the 
the meeting with the doctor, I was having all these issues and I went in and my mom was in the waiting room waiting for me. I was 17. So I wasn't actually, I was 16. I think I was almost 17. I can't remember, but it was one of the most horrible experiences of my life. And he came back in and the doctor said, after running his test, he said, basically, that my life was over. No way. He actually said that. Yeah. And that in those before words, in those words, he's like, I don't know who your boyfriend is. And he uses quotation marks, the air quotes. And he said, I don't know who your boyfriend is, but, uh, he's been lying to you and he obviously isn't just with you and your life is over. And oh I literally was like, what are you talking too. about? And then he gave him my diagnosis. I lost my shit. I'd been there for almost three hours. My mom was trying to get into the waiting, the, the actual room. They wouldn't give her any information. She thought I was like dying. She didn't know what was happening. Cause I went in with a problem and I came out with a bigger problem in, in everyone's eyes. So it was this horrible experience. And I, and I've had a lot of shame around that my entire, you know, sexually um, mature age. So whatever, if you consider me like in, in sexually mature at that age, I was having sex. So it really was difficult for me moving forward in my life to actually um, be open about that. I had a lot of shame. And because my life was over. Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Yeah, in Wisconsin, yeah. circa 1998, I think, or 1999. And it was, yeah, it was a really really hard experience and then slowly now uh, moving you know forward into my mid-30s I'm I'm very comfortable with who I am and the experiences that I've had and and how to mitigate my my um my sexually transmitted disease that I've had since I was 17 and that experience was horrible and I hope that this podcast can shed some light and help folks out there because it's a very real thing Mm -hmm. and STDs I had slept with no one except one person and um, that the, the way the doctor handled it was shitty, and I hope that um, we can just help people with this information and everything else just feel okay a- about some things. It's and not a death sentence. You're oh, not no. broken. No. Your life is not over. Exactly. My life was not over. I did think it was for a minute, but I, I, I survived, and we're here to help you survive all your things, too, and Dr. Remy or me Remy is here. I am so sorry that happened to you. Yeah, it was heavy. And I was just right there with you when you're talking about that, and then I was also right there with you when you talk about how you've turned it around and you've used it to right now to help people get through that because there are so many people in that same box you know who will say oh yeah it's fine if I get chlamydia gonorrhea but god if I got herpes my life would be over and I have to say no no you know I know couples one of them might have herpes and another and the other one has not gotten it for 15 years and they're just fine and there's ways to control everything Mm -hmm. and once again we come back to the basics of taking really good care of yourself you know and that it's not a death sentence it's not it's not about shame and blame but we need to turn that around yeah it's not the end of the world so it sounds like the doctor had their own uh, lack of education around the topic, their own shaming, their own opinions about it. That plenty, that still is, to this day is, I'm sure, is happening. Well, going to a um, a general, he was a general practitioner as a 17 year old uh, cis woman. It was really hard for me as it was because I'd never seen a gyno before, and so he, it was already this extra traumatic experience. Seen a man to look at your vagina, your legs, get into anybody else, and I had this issue. So he was the only one I could get into ASAP, and that's why it was. And my mom wasn't in the room, which is even more bizarre. I was actually alone with him in the room. You should have had a female chaperone. Yeah, Yeah. isn't that interesting? Things that have happened that we go back. Recently, to go have my sis look at the 
there there was uh, a female chaperone. Yeah, yeah, just so, to make everybody feel comfortable. Yeah. yeah, and I know I didn't even comment on it. I was like, oh, I don't feel like I've experienced it before because I have been to other um, cis male gynecologists before, and there hasn't been a woman there, but this time there was, and I was like. I like this. It just like it. feels comfortable. Yeah. It makes the male docs feel more comfortable too. Or yeah, they say, everyone. yeah, especially yeah. right now. I've got a little extra set of hands right yeah. now, and yeah. yeah, and the things that have been done to yeah. women in the past, yeah. you know, yeah, no chance of that happening. Speak up, no Good. chance. Well, so, we, yeah, well, what's the difference? So let's oh, yeah. what's the difference between STI and STD. All right. So right now we're using STI more commonly. Yeah. And that's mostly because it's not necessarily a disease because we're just trying to remove the stigmatization of a disease. You're not diseased. You have an infection and we'll treat an infection. So we look at that. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's mostly just making it a better word to say, yes, I have an infection and you treat an infection. Mm -hmm. People have diseases. And so it's just the nomenclature. So an an STI, so yeah, infection, STD, disease. So I mean, talking about like chlamydia and gonorrhea. Okay. And this is one thing I just want to clarify. A lot of people think the clap is chlamydia, but it's actually gonorrhea. Mm-hmm. And uh, both of them are uh, curable, so that would be an infection with, like, I think chlamydia is you can take one Easily. Pill, it? Yeah, it's it's two pills. What's well, a thousand okay. grams? I mean, I have chlamydia. Zithromycin. I always thought, and I called it the clap when yeah. you got it. I was like, you got the clap. I'm like, no. Remember that song from, uh, from Get Him to the Greek where he's like, I got the clap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got the clap. And I got the clap, honestly, from like, um, just the tip, uh, just the tip oh, experience. Yeah. Like, the it was just like it was essentially naked, dry humping without anything going inside, but just the tip. And there's a lot of body fluids, and that is how easy it is to get chlamydia. Was that all it took was like a little bit of fluid to touch a little bit of fluid, and there was chlamydia. And I've had this, heard of this from other friends that have had chlamydia too. Mm. Um, so I don't know. I mean, these we little bugs—they're just crawling all around <laughs> us. We can't see them, you know. And there's little bugs. Herpes? There's good bugs, bad bugs. Yeah, yeah. and herpes is just skin to skin right yeah yeah and you never know when you're shedding or not and so um it's hard to counsel people on it because uh theoretically the likelihood of passing it on to a partner when somebody hasn't had an outbreak in a really long time uh when they're healthy they're not immunocompromised it's really pretty low but i can't tell you how low yeah nobody really can i think i mean one way to know so i have had uh partners who and like newer partners who have said that they have disclosed their sti status and they actually open the conversation like hey we're going let's we're we're start our bodies starting close we're not having penetrative sex but it looks like that's going to happen let's have a conversation for sex conversation i'm like i fucking love you that's easy i love you now i want you even more yeah Yeah. they uh, they actually initiated that they're also very sex positive and they're more in that world Um, and they you know did disclose something that that they did have herpes and um, but they also said i haven't had an outbreak for eight years i'm really healthy i know how to manage it you know i know how it feels in my body when i get it i think they said all those things or maybe i asked questions around that Um, and so like those are i 
think some of the important questions isn't just like, you know, do you have a thing? When's the last time you tested? Those are good things to ask. But like, what does it feel like in your body when you have it? How do you take care of yourself? What's your health management like? Because if you're beating your body up all the time, you're probably more likely for this thing to come out. Uh, but there are there are ways to go about it where it really and then you decrease shame for them. You're not Absolutely. like, oh, you're gross. You have this thing. It's more like get curious about it and what is their experience with it and how do they take care of it. So yeah. and then you have informed consent yes. and you then you can consent. You know when and if you want to go further with them yeah. and then at least you know and you can say, okay, I, I brought this on and say say it does happen. Say there's that one in a million chance that yes then you end up sharing this then you say okay then this is how i'm going to treat this you know yeah. just like every time we get in a car we could get in a car accident yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 and then oh, there's yeah. also folks uh especially in the gay um I, you know the penis identified folks the uh-huh. gay community uh with hiv and prep and folks that are kind of exploring that and i've been with my friends um on grinder or scruff and i'm like let me see what's going on and i'll ask them what the different because there's a different indicators on those apps that says like i'm on prep and i was wondering if you know anything about that so prep is a it's sort of it's a it, it's an anti pre-exposure prophylactic okay that's okay yeah so that doesn't totally safeguard you but it just kind of if you're on it decreases decreases your chances yeah it actually is is an hiv treatment drug so it's often truvada um and so people will take it um so that it's it's an antiretroviral and people will take it so that if they are exposed to hiv and you've got couples who one of them is hiv positive but is taking Mm. um but is on treatment so their viral load is really low their chance of even transmitting the condition is is pretty low and then the other person's on prep that would be the safest way to Um, move forward mm -hmm. and so that way if you come into contact then your body can bring your viral load down and so those people when they're on prep we're still testing them it all depends usually it's about every six months to a year and then you just get tested and you just stay on top of that and so it's a great option for people whose insurance covers it because it can be really expensive Um, and it does come with some risks of you know i want to i want to check out all your labs make sure your liver is functioning good make sure you're not anemic make sure everything else is is healthy and then it's a great option for people my gay friends were 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 a few of them at least three so i can say my gay friends like in various places were like i love hooking up with guys you know, uh, on prep. However, they're less safe, mm. and not only are they less safe uh-huh. because you're still exposed to other STDs. Yeah. Uh, uh, they just think it, it's like it's like a safety protect- blanket super, yeah. for everything. So it's a good disclaimer to know that just if you are on prep, and it's not only it's like for any human. It's not just you know um, for one. Uh, gender it's for any human can really be on prep but uh that's a that was a takeaway for me where i was like interesting so even if you're on prep you still should use condoms because well, it doesn't make other it, STIs, there's other STIs. STIs. and those people when they come in so when we're seeing them every six months we're testing for every single sti and yeah. so theoretically those people when they're coming in to get their refills they should be coming in and getting tested they're getting tested more often yeah. so that's one safety right there mm-hmm. and hopefully the people who are diligent and 
enough to want to get prep are going to want to avoid other STIs too. That's and what we hope. The way that the medication goes with HIV is, I mean, I know a number of HIV positive people, but it's like undetectable in their bodies because mm. of the they have access to this medication. And if they were to have sex with someone else, the chance of the other person getting HIV is like, it, uh, not impossible, but it's like, yeah. it's like one, I don't even know. This is if your viral load is yeah. so low, 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 and so that's another thing is we're looking at their viral load. Yeah. Then yeah, it's it's really not. That's why we're sentence. not yeah. we're not seeing it. Okay, y'all, time for a quick break. This podcast is made possible by some of our favorite things. Uberlube is one of them. It's a luxurious lubricant great for all kinds of sex. It's less likely to throw off your pH than most other lubes. Seriously? There are hundreds of doctors who recommend Uberlube to their patients, whether they want to make their hot sex even hotter or for folks who are experiencing dryness. Amy, I know you love Uberlube too. What do you love? I love Uberlube because it has no flavor, no scent, and it feels absolutely amazing on my body. In fact, I want it everywhere. I even use it in my hair for my hair frizzies, for massage, and it can also prevent chafing. Oh, and the bottle is gorgeous. It's discreet and looks like a beautiful cosmetic product, so you can leave it on your nightstand shamelessly. To learn why we think it's the best lube on the planet, go check out uberlube.com, use coupon code SHAMELESSSEX, and you get 10% off and free shipping. Again, that's uberlube.com, code SHAMELESSSEX, and 10% off and free shipping. This podcast was also made possible by omgs.com. OMGS is a research-based online program that helps you add more sexy things to your menu. OMGS studied thousands of vulva owners to find out how they orgasm and then made tasteful and inspiring short videos to show you techniques on how to pleasure yourself or another vulva. Amy, tell us why you love OMGS. I've been recommending OMGS to my clients for years and it has changed their lives. Whether you're already having good orgasms and want to have even better orgasms, or perhaps you want to explore more variety in your playtime or even learn how to pleasure someone else's vulva, OMGS will have something for you. With two seasons, one all about internal and the other all about external techniques, it's better than any book or DVD that money can buy. To learn more, visit omgs.com backslash shameless and our listeners get $5 off. That's omgs.com backslash shameless. You get $5 off. Go check it out now. And back to the show. As someone who got a cold sore virus from making out with someone in Hawaii, if you're listening, you know who you are. You told me, <laughs> you told me it was a sun blister. Sun blister. <laughs> it was not a sun blister, motherfucker. I got in his sick. eye it was because that's how they present. Yes, yeah. and yeah, it's like it's a sun blister. My bad for being 18 and making out with some of the giant sun blister in your face, but it only took three days for me to get really sick and have a huge cold sore. Three on days. My wow. And then and then white canker sores all down my throat and, and my mouth. I was like literally sick. It felt like swallowing glass. But I had a huge cold sore, and and I went up to him and I was like, "You weren't you? That's not a sun blister. Like I got really sick from you. He's like that was not for me. Anyways, and then also chlamydia. I think like five days I showed symptoms. So you're talking about when you can test. This isn't when we can test. Yeah. So uh-huh. if somebody presents with an outbreak, then I can culture yeah. it. And as soon as they get an outbreak, yeah. yeah. When I hooked up with this guy in Australia, he was telling me because he had a lot of unprotected sex. He's like, "Well, I have a doctor." He called him. Dr. Dick. I think it was something Richard. I don't know. I'm not yeah. saying names, but they call him Dr. Dick and he would just go get a blood test. And I was thinking to myself the same thing. I was like, 
dude, you can't test for things right after you have sex with someone unprotected. And so I kind of was like, okay, red flag. We need a condom all the time. And he got really offended. And I was like, well, maybe this isn't going to work. Yeah, out. maybe yeah. it's not going to work. And if you're yeah. listening, you know who you are. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, anyone that you're sleeping with who gets offended yeah. when you say we need to, I, I want to use a condom, I personally, my stance would be do not fuck that person. And like, if they're like, if they're fighting their way out of using protection when you say that you want to use it, then that is to me is kind of an issue because you're speaking, you're being your own authority for your body and then they're throwing a fit over it. Like, yeah, yeah, I get that it feels better without a condom and I get to decide what happens with my body. And if you're not on board, then let's not fuck. Like it's, let's not have sex. And I counsel so many young people and something that goes hand in hand with that is intoxication. Mm -hmm. So it's so much easier to be like, okay, fine. I'm going to finally give in when you're a little bit intoxicated. And so I'm like, Hey, if you really like somebody, try sober sex. It feels so good. You don't get numbed out. Mm -hmm. Try it out. Feel everything. And, and let that guy know everything you want and need and respect yourself. Yeah. We'll kind of say, wow, okay, I can do that. Yeah. Um, and so what I also encourage my people, I just say, come on in, come in once a month. If you want to bring your partners in, all you have to do is pee in a cup. We'll take a look, you know? Um, and so it is really, really easy yeah, to it's do not, it frequently. It, what, so wait, what about the cotton swab in the cock and the penis, like the head the of the urethra? Penis? What is that for? Yeah, so that could be one way to assess for chlamydia and gonorrhea, but really I just have to pee in a cup. Okay. It's easy. We'll pick it up just yeah. as easily. I usually get the results in three or four days, and, and if they're not sure and they think they might have picked something up, they don't know who their partner's partner's partner slept with, then they can come back in, in a month and we'll keep reading. I got shamed, Remy. I'm sorry, this is not about me again, but damn it, one more thing. Big and stuff. then I'm off of it. Yeah. yeah. I got shamed in Santa Cruz, actually, when I was in my single days for getting because I had a condom break and so I went in to get tested I think it was like maybe two weeks later and it wasn't feeling anything and the the doctor uh, said that I was basically being like uh, her words were better than this but I was being like over cautious and that the results probably weren't going to even be accurate kind of thing and that it was ridiculous that I was there again because I'd just been tested like a month before that but I had unprotected sex again by choice that time but that other time was un- so I is that not whatever helps you sleep at okay. night yeah. and okay. if it shows up and <laughs> insurance covers it because I was like something in the last statistic for Santa Cruz, a 500% increase in gonorrhea. So I see it in what? my college and students. Syphilis too. Syphilis went up a bunch. Yeah. So the statistics are high. Yeah. And so I think come in and get tested. Insurance covers it. It's yeah. practically in the water. That's how I also destigmatize it because then I have to call people and be like, hey, I know we're just doing routine testing, but by the way, I'm sending you a prescription, you know? Yeah. And so, um, yeah. Do it as much as you want. Okay, it's good. not going to hurt anything. It was interesting yeah. that she did yeah. kind of c- come down. I mean, I, I was like, oh, maybe I am being kind of caught. And there conscious. are a lot of judgmental providers, you know, yeah. kind of kind of old school. And, mm. you know, and that's OK. That's on them. And I think it's it's OK to make form your own decision and. And go find and a say, actually, provider. no, I really want yeah. testing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you have someone that shames you or is 
um, resisting in your request for to tend to your body, then go find someone else. I mean, look at all of Remy, Remy, hi, <laughs> <Pye>, everyone. <laughs> yeah, Re- Remy, like, if you're in Santa Cruz, she's going to have a waiting list she's now. Coming in pita cup. Yeah, yeah. Like, go in from this. You already probably slammed. You're already like, damn, I mean, I, need a I, mean I know. I like STIs, yeast infections, UTIs. It's like the, I won't mm. say it's like the easiest thing I do. Um, people are really, human beings are complex and mm. health is so complex. And so I love doing female male sexual health yeah. because it's pretty straightforward mm-hmm. and i like to help people feel really comfortable to take care of themselves i just so. thought of one that we can do real quick that so many yeah. people are pressure. bv oh yeah. it can be sexually transmitted and also cannot can you explain a little bit about that to folks yeah so our vaginal canal we want it full of a lot of healthy lactobacillus and sometimes things can just tip that off it could be a tip that could tip that off tip <laughs> the ph <laughs> off <laughs> and it could um it could be somebody's semen that we have a little bit of reaction to and then we have other bacteria that live in our vaginal canal the one that causes vaginosis bv is called gardronella and sometimes then the gardronella the ph gets off and so then all the gardronella bugs can have little bug babies and then they can grow and proliferate oh it's so cute (laughs) little bug babies it all starts with one bug which is why it's not going to show up on a on a test until until all the bugs have had babies and uh there's a little it's colonization a it's a whole party yeah. in there colonies <laughs> yes um and so then people present with itchy somebody something smells funny down there i've got some yellow watery discharge i don't know what it is you know and so i do uh i do a swab i have a great swab that i use from quest labs that tests the amount of lactobacillus that you have so that's really good so i can help people's vaginas get back in balance um and it tests for a variety of different yeast and gardronella it tests for um, trichomonas which is another sti Um, and then we treat it so with bv my new favorite way well it's been around for a long time but i really like um prescribing people boric acid um suppositories suppositories. i can get them at loudon and it will take care of candida too Mm. and it's not totally disrupting all the flora i don't have to give people oral antibiotics to wipe out their whole gut flora um and it works really well so a lot of times i just say i'm going to prescribe this today we don't have the results things you can go ahead and use it or if the results are negative you've just got it in your medicine cabinet and you can use it and it's really safe mm. and it creates a really acidic environment in the vaginal canal and then you can have uh, lots of healthy lactobacillus babies and that's mm. what we want and you can't yeah have and that keeps everything ripe and juicy and yeah, yeah. you can't I, have sex when you're using boric acid right because i'm on it right now and i was uh-huh. looking at the the i have like my partner's ph and i are just not aligned it happens to you it's such a bummer and it's like it bums me out so we were doing like an alkaline apple cider vinegar shot together every morning and it was helping uh-huh and then when we stopped now it's back and anytime there's semen in my vaginal canal same thing yeah. bv again and again and i'm like so fucking over it so i've been on this is now the second bottle of boric acid that i'm on 
Again, sorry, I turned it into me. I'm sorry, listeners. No, just, but you're, you're good. That's just gives people something yeah. to relate yeah. to. They're like, oh, that happened to me too. Yeah. So that's really common. And how do I speak to that? Um, how do we get you and your partner's flora to match up? It's so complex because there's so many different flora and what's in his sperm that is you know, triggering my that. yeah my it's vaginal flora it's whether that's something that's your flora. genetic or whether uh, that's yeah is it know. genetic i know do you two the, live together we do and okay the, so the a lot of times people health. who live together then they start to get the same sort of flora they're yeah. brushing their teeth they're using the same toilet you yeah, know too. and yeah and so honestly think, how long does that take likely Years, years. Okay, yeah. Okay, so I'll keep trying. <laughs> I don't um, know. And maybe it's the the maybe it, we eat almost the same foods mm-hmm. too. I mean, we're, our refrigerator is the same. Um, we're together often. It's it's a bizarre thing. And actually, the funny thing is, my BV starts to smell. I feel like sort of like his semen sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like I can smell it. Work. You guys have just like <laughs> just totally acclimated to each other. And yeah. You're the same person now. But it's, it's I just, know it's. But you still get a reaction. You still get a reaction. So that's the dick year. So give it some more time. Okay. Yeah. I'm not, I'm really not sure what the answer would be to tell you. I would say that there's more research needed in that area. Okay. And mm-hmm. I don't know also if you're having some sort of allergic reaction. So it's not even a matter of the bugs, but it's a matter of your body has some sort of just like some people can use a lotion and get, and get an allergic reaction to it. And some people do have an allergy to their partner's semen, you mm-hmm. know, and, that's, that's not completely so uncommon. Yeah. Well, at least it's and not so it's more of like blood, a hemorrhaging. Topic. Topic. hemorrhaging. That's, a, that's a plus. <laughs> yeah. I just stank. A lot of the women <laughs> I know that the first time they got BV, they, did, they like kind of knew something was up, but they didn't understand what it was. And they were in their mid 20s and they're like, what the hell is this? And then they had it for a long time before they finally discovered what it was. Didn't you were saying that? He never called me again. I'm pretty sure it's because I had BV. Yeah, somebody's partner might be like, hey, honey, what's going on down there? But especially yeah. when it's like a new partner, they've only slept like once or twice and then they stop calling and then you figure it yeah. out later and like, oh, I have BV and that's makes perfect sense why we went on one or two dates and yeah. you stopped calling. Um, okay. Anyways, <clears throat> HPV. Let's move on to that one. Okay. Human papilloma. Virus. 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 Yes. yes. So um, warts are in the same category. That is the one strain of that virus causes genital warts. Okay. Yes. And there's many different strains. Many about strains. About 40 or there's so. High risk. There's low risk. Um, as far as I know, we can talk more about this. And you actually told me, and we can talk about this too, Um one is that it's kind of like if you're a sexually active person, just know that the likelihood of you having it or having it like dormant in your body is pretty high. Absolutely. 80% of us are going to get it in our lives. And so women, we test because there is a really strong association to cervical cancer. And so that's why we want to know if somebody has the high risk type and we want to keep an eye on her cervix and make sure those little HPV bugs aren't causing lesions to grow on the cervix that Mm -hmm. could cause problems further down the line. There's no test for men, which is really unfortunate. They just haven't really found a good one. And so as a result, that's just how we keep tabs on it. And they're carriers, but they don't have symptoms unless they have the warts. Because I've had partners that have yeah. had the warts. I didn't actually get that HPV virus in them, but they had the little warts that they had to get burned off. But otherwise, if they have the high-risk type that they don't actually have symptoms for, they 
you can't test nurse carriers. No, I mean we'll do anal paps, and so mm-hmm. um, men can get it. Yeah, Go get them in, in their anus. It. Yeah, <laughs> and so we can do anal paps. Um, there is an association to laryngeal cancer, so that's cancer of the uh, throat, mm-hmm. um, oh, and yeah, so we can get it in our mouth. And once again, we don't really test for that. That's more specialized, but it's something that if somebody's presenting with cancerous lesions on their larynx then it would be you know like in in the realm of possibilities because it is so common mm-hmm. oh man and wait but so the, the worst, scary world do the words <laughs> so, do they have to be burned off to be treated yeah or is that that's just a treatment and they'll be gone if you get them burned off so you can get them burned off theoretically that virus can still be living hanging around dormant oh um and it could rear its head again or it could be gone hence the yeah. nature of a virus that's mm-hmm. what they do they yeah. go sleeping for adaptable a while. creatures and, and my, my question for you april since you, not my question but so because i you know, I have a, a virus. I have the cold sore virus that I got when I was 18 from Thank You Human out there. HPV1. HSV1. HSV1. And then, and then I also, bef- before I got that, I had uh, kind of some yeast infection stuff. So those aren't really, so yeast infections actually came first. But um, BV, now BV, when I was in my mid 20s and they got these, started getting these cysts on my Barthelon's gland. And I went to a naturopathic doctor and their whole thing is like, let's tie them all together and see what the root cause is and that they all might be related, which, and this was just a theory, but what they did, what her theory was, all right, you have this virus. Viruses are really hard on the body. Like the body is when you're, and also if you're already, your immune system is already low and then there's this virus, lowers your immune system even more and your immune system has to work really hard. And so it makes it more likely, this is just a theory from it. This is a very holistic approach, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you already have a thing that's hard for your body. Mm-hmm. It makes you more likely to have these other things. So for her, she was like, you know, here's the theory I'm going to go with. Can't say if it's fully true, but you you have this virus hard in your body your immune system gets low then you get bv because there's this other thing that's hard for your body to deal with already and now you have this other thing that might be related to that i can't tell you if it is she didn't know a lot about barthelon's gland cysts but what she did with me is she had me turbocharge my immune system so i was taking um a getting b b12 vitamin b12 shots lysine right you're like snorting lysine i was snorting lysine <laughs> Yes, like powdered lysine, massive <laughs> rails of lysine. I mean, like a lysine. Yeah, okay. no, 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 no. Actually, it wasn't <laughs> even taking lysine. It was like massive doses of vitamin C, B twelve, um, and then uh, wait, that turmeric. one time you had like a full Ziploc baggie of lysine. Oh, I, was I know <laughs> she wasn't snorting. No, I was joking. But like you did have right. it looked like you had was illegal. You were courier of illegal drugs on a on a trip. That's true. I was eating massive doses of lysine, and what ended up happening over time was. Um, BV went away. The cysts shrunk. Oh. They got shrunk. They shrunk. 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 They shrank. Why am I doing this with all these words? I don't know. All the grammar <laughs> humans are like. Um, so, anyways, total tangent. But and so now I'm dealing with the cysts again, though. And so I'm looking at this from this place of like, oh shit, did I just give up on boosting my immune system? Do I need to go back and do that again? And I don't know. This is just a an idea, right? As they all are. Like we don't have a lot of research on on that of them like being related to maybe your immune system is low, but 
Yeah, that's just one thing that I think that's a really, a really, really plausible theory because um, we do have, I mean, something that we're finally looking at in Western medicine is just the whole concept of inflammation Mm -hmm. and um, inflammation and high stress and high stress and and its relationship, you know, any kind of stress and viruses cause physical stress um, that bring down your immune system. And then we have opportunistic infections. And so we have, you know, not enough of the good bugs because we really do like all over me right now. I've got good bugs, bad bugs, neutral bugs. And so sometimes it's like the bad bugs can take over and then in then other viruses can take over. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're seeing that playing out a lot. Yeah. And so it comes down again to taking really good care of your body yeah. and then saying, okay, well, this was working. And so with that, um, liver health plays a really big role in that, mm. you know, and Everything, um, liver. yeah. And right. so just metabolism of everything we're subjected to in the air and the mm. water and all the creams and everything we're putting in and on our bodies, you know, and then our, our physical stress and mm. then, um, our mental state positivity and yeah. you know, na- a lot of negative self-talk versus positive self you know, again, there's that holistic piece is that it's not just like, it's, it's all multifactorial. It's, yeah. Yeah. All of it's playing a part in it. And so to look at all of it and hence why you should go see a nurse, nurse practitioner. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. how do you feel about answering a question from our listeners? Yeah, let's do it. Let's see how a, a listener. This is a couple questions. Did you want to know the we first have, one? Yeah, we have a few. So I'll read the first one. Amy always, I'll give her a break from reading. She always gets to read the questions <laughs> and I always mess them up too. I'm no, like, you, burr, you do burr, great. Burr, You're the best, burr. Amy. So, okay. Uh, I won't do it in any specific accent because I think it's just American right now. We want Irish. Irish. I could do a Minnesotan. Um, so yeah, Minnesotan. <laughs> That's easy for you. Um, I'm specifically interested about knowingly having sex with someone who has an STD or tips for someone with STDs on how to talk to prospective partners about it. I've had sex with partners who have had STDs and the pre-sex conversation about it is never easy. Yep. Suggestions. It's that's, never easy. Yeah. It's that, that, I mean, that's, yeah, that's and, the key. Here. Unless you're in the world of sex educators we're like, uh, yeah, and that, like I, this conversation I was saying I had with this other person was very easy because we're both experienced in it, sex educator world, but for most folks, it's not an easy one. So I think just embrace the fact that it's going to be awkward, first of all. Um, and But I liked what you said earlier, too. If someone says that they won't sleep with you or hook up with you or have any intimate experiences with you because you have an STD, you've been open about that, fuck that person. Move on with your life. You're probably better off. There's 7.6 billion people on the planet now. Mm-hmm. You can find yeah. another human that's going someone to suit your needs going, just fine. Someone else is going to want to. And then again, there's deeper questions that you ask. It's not yeah. just like, oh, yeah, STD, I'm out. Actually, because then you're actually not knowledgeable about STDs either. If you're just saying, oh, you have, you know, herpes, I'm not going to have sex with you. You actually don't know a lot about how herpes works. So you're actually someone that could be more educated, too. Right. But you can ask them more questions about um, how, how educated are they. If I found out, so again, someone wasn't educated on it, I'd be like, hmm, yeah, 
I don't think I really want to have unprotected sex Let me tell you something. You. I have a PowerPoint presentation <laughs> and a laser pointer right here. Here's about herpes, okay? So, uh, it's part of the reason why I would recommend your podcast to some of my patients because it just, you ladies start the conversation. You talk about it and then we say, hey, let's talk about this, you know, have a conversation about it and then come back to informed consent. And so the more informed you are to be like, hey, baby, let's get informed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can make a decision and you don't want to do anything with your body that doesn't feel comfortable and you can put stuff off and you can wait and you know there's a lot of juicy stuff to anticipation let's get tested together let's yeah. make this romantic and then let's get crazy mm-hmm. um but we you know yeah. some something to think about or you know some ways that we can, like, risk, like you know we can re- reduce risks there's various ways that you can do that in like a harm reduction approach of um different it's not all or nothing and yeah you know, it's just, there's there's all the more informed you are about what you can use for harm reduction because there's so many things out there that you probably have widely available at your store yeah condoms dental gloves gloves, finger cuffs these are all options and then i guess again outing the discomfort of it like not i think don't choose to not have the conversation because it's uncomfortable right choose to have the conversation knowing it's going to be weird and uncomfortable and out that like this is not a fun conversation to have but i need to have this otherwise i'm not gonna be able to sleep at night and oftentimes it's just the thought of having the conversation that's uncomfortable and then you're like okay here i go i'm saying it and then you're having the conversation and you're like oh we're talking about this wow this actually feels really good we could do this so if you have hpv should i mean we don't we don't should people but since we've heard from a professional opinion and and uh from a lot of folks in research yeah. has said that most folks have it 80 percent. should you tell someone that is that is that an important piece or should it just be known that you're at risk no matter who you're fucking yeah Unless you're right you know old 14 year old whatever <laughs> however old people are now having sex right old so the, the, the first time i i heard that it was okay not to disclose your hpv status was i was just recently at a whole logic presentation so whole logic is the company that creates the pap smear test that tests for hpv and so we had this nice fancy dinner presentation and they said and now you can tell your partners that if they get H- you can tell your your female patients if they get hpv we don't even tell them to disclose it to their partners because usually it's their partners that gave it to them. It is something that's practically in the water. It's kind of like having a cold in your genitals that you're probably going to clear. It might hang out for a few years. And if it does, we just keep testing it. And so that is the consensus. So I heard that at the whole logic training. And then I had to confirm that with one of our beloved gynecologists here in the community, Dr. Jackson. And she said, I'm so glad they're starting to tell people that because Mm -hmm. we just don't know enough about it. And that feels like a really safe way. Instead of saying we know everything that there is to know about this, we really don't. We're learning more all the time. And so it is safe to um, 
just keep getting tested. So if you present and you're told you're HPV positive after your pap smear, what that means for you is that you um, go get tested the following year. And then if the following year you are HPV positive again, then I send you to a gynecologist who looks at your cervix underneath a microscope and they are looking for any cells uh, uh, possibly HPV may have contributed to causing some weird unusual cellular activity they might take a little sample send it to a lab and further look at it and that's about it if they see something else then they might try to uh, use cryotherapy which is liquid nitrogen to freeze stuff off and so it's yeah yeah so it's a really pretty straightforward process and and it's one of those things that that prevention's worked a lot well, let me tell you, um, I, when I was, sorry, I started dating someone when I was 18. I'm 30 for everyone, so I'm still not with them. Um, I was 18, I started dating someone. We were monogamous. When I was 21, I was found out I had HPV. I instantly went to, like, what have you been doing? And they've been, like, the, we're the most committed partner ever. Um, and it just, like, thought it was a death sentence and then learned about it, worked through it, and then got tested regularly, regularly and it eventually went dormant in my body. When it went dormant in my body, I don't i i've never brought it up to new partners i until like later on when we already had unprotected sex and i've had one partner get mad at me for that but i was like okay i totally get it would you would you still have had sex with me though like would that have changed anything it's like no no i still would have but i just wanted to know so i understand that there's that part of like you're the extreme version of yes, you you can tell them everything about it. Yeah, here I have HPV. It's been dormant in my body for years. You're still going to fuck me. Like I know this, so I can still I can take that route, and I can say that for m- most circumstances, especially as a vulva owner having sex with a penis owner, it's not going to change much, and there's not much that they can do about it unless they decide. But it's not going to affect them anyways, right? Like what penis owner is going to say? You know what? No. I'm not going. I'm really into you, but I'm not going to have sex with you, even though you have dormant HPV, and I'll only be a carrier, and I actually won't have any effects, but I still won't have unprotected sex with you. I mean, maybe someone will do that, but not a lot of them. So I think it it is a little tricky that like you know some people could still feel left in the dark, and most of them are still gonna bang you. <laughs> so, this is true. This is so true. And that's I think you bring up a really about it. good like else point. Is, yeah. Everyone else has been like, "Oh, cool, you shitty." About yeah, being fully informed and being truthful yeah. with your partners. You mean, yeah, you can, but and then you hope that people understand. So the more you understand about it, the more you can disclose that. Yeah, yeah. That one it was just that one didn't change much of anything. All right, we're gonna go to another sex question. Um, okay, I've been feeling like the ple- this is kind of a similar note. I've been feeling like. The pleasure of non-monogamous sex isn't worth the anxiety of getting an STI or STD. I feel like I'm not trusting, not just trusting the guy I'm with, but others he's been with recently. So this is, I think is a, a single or the non-monogamous person. Casual sex. Should I be scheduling every sexual encounter ahead of time and have us both go get tested beforehand? Um, so this is like how... Uh, crazy should people be about this in terms of um, their feet? This is just like, I'm afraid. I don't trust. Am I, is this a death sentence? Am I, how, how easy is it for it to get STIs, STDs? Um, I'm speaking to a, a trust issue, though. Like the partner could say, yeah, I mean, if you're having unprotected sex with someone, and I'll have you answer this too. If I'm having unprotected sex with April, 
And April's like, I got tested. I'm all good. But I'm having unprotected sex with other folks. And I had sex with them yesterday. Yeah, you can't vouch for that person's status. Right. So I think this speaks more to like agreements. If you're doing non-monogamous stuff, agreements within the whole non-monogamy dynamic. And you're always taking on any sort of risk whenever you're sexually active with anyone. I mean, you're taking on any risk because they could be a carrier and they could be a carrier and they could have sex with 15 people that would never have been uh, having any symptoms. And I don't know the correct terminology, but they would never be, um, they would never even know they had anything. And then one of those 15 people could have a sign of whatever STI it is. And then they know that now that they're a carrier and that they've been having that, that STI and now may perhaps all of those people there's an, there's a certain though kind of perfect storm though with every STI, right? There's like an incubation period. There's all sorts of different things that take place into making it the perfect thing. So even if someone does know that they have an STI, they may not get it. But um, no matter what, I think that this, you probably have so many good things to say, but this is why I want you all in my office getting tested (laughs) all the time. Um, All the time. (laughs) No, it's, it's, it's very personal for each person on their, on their comfort level. So Mm -hmm. then you have to ask yourself, all right. So now that I know, now that this person's been truly honest with me then what happens if i get an sti you have to ask yourself those questions what Mm -hmm. happens if i have unprotected sex and i get pregnant kind of have a plan so you can kind of calm your anxiety like that so you can say what if okay then what okay then what then i'll go get treated okay then what then i'll have to call everybody else i've slept Mm -hmm. with and tell them okay then what well then they'll have to call everybody else okay then we're all going to get tested okay then we're all going to get treated okay so i think it's good sometimes to follow that whole pathway down to its very end and then make your decision from there and i think that um that's part of the I was about to say fun, but that I mean, <laughs> non-monogamy and, and polyamory is a bit more complex and it requires people to have and to hone their, their great communication skills. Yes. And they learn so much about themselves and they learn how to communicate. And then as a result, they often feel more comfortable in their bodies, more comfortable talking with other people and have more trusting relationships. And so it can kind of be a good vehicle to start from. Yeah. Yeah. I think th- I, I like that part of just the more you add, whether you're a single person, a non-monogamous person, be the more bodies you add to sharing fluids. And then there's the idea, which we haven't talked about, but the being fluid bonded with someone so that you understand that you are making an agreement to share body fluids based on either we know your testing status and we're making an agreement on that, or we are still just making an agreement not knowing testing status, but that we are con- we are committing to sharing fluids um, consensually and knowing that that's okay. Um, that the more bodies you add, just the more complicated it can be, right? The more... That's yeah, true. There could yeah, be. and there is is a responsibility that if you show up with an STI, then I say, go call your partners and yeah. tell them to come on in here. Share. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, go, go have them call their partners, mm-hmm. you know? And, and a lot of people are really responsive to that yeah. and they feel better. It brings people 
together. They have that conversation. Then they get through it, and then they're still together. I just read an STI call. I know. So it's been five years. Yeah, hi, how you do? I just want to let you know. I had one. So you know, I got chlamydia from JTT. Just the tip. Well, I so I had not Justin Timberlake. Not Justin, yeah, <laughs> Justin Timberlake gave me chlamydia from JTT, and then I also did JTT with someone else. Apparently, I was on a JTT role, and it was like just the grazing of the head of the penis. But I got chlamydia from JTT with one person, and so I had to call this other guy that I JTT'd as well. Uh-huh. It was like significantly younger than me. It was pretty awkward. They handled it well, and they but they. I was like, so just so you know, I got chlamydia, and I got it from a similar experience that I had with you, and so you should know. And they, and they asked, they were like, okay, what should I do? Like, how do I get tested? Where should I go? And so last time I talked to them, like they just like never called me back, which is fine. Um, but it was, I mean, it, again, not a comfortable thing. It's like picking up the phone. Fuck, I have to have this conversation. You know, I, they may never want to talk to me again. They might be angry. It's going to be awkward and at least they were able to go and take to tend to this part and, so that they didn't pass it on you so it's not just this chain reaction of this thing you know that was my um what i owed to humanity to absolutely you're in. protecting a lot of the other people out yeah. there yeah. yeah by and then they can him and however they can get angry and then ultimately they'll be really grateful and they'll say wow that was really nice that she called and she wanted to protect me okay Mm -hmm. then i'm gonna hopefully pass that forward that's what we hope right and we want there's a lot of humans out there that i've had intimate circumstances with that i've had i'm talking about like the guy that i had bv with who probably didn't call me back and the guy that i may have gotten chlamydia to this one i can sum up really quickly yeah i think that's a better one for you too because you're yeah i'm gonna sum this up this one up really quickly because it's a nice long question but just quickly now we're just before we end because we've had a lot to say these are just some birth control questions this person had an iud inserted they gained 40 pounds they're not saying if it's uh hormonal or non-hormonal but they do ask about non-hormonal birth control at the end so i'm assuming it's the marina a hormonal iud they gained 40 pounds it's been an issue in their relationship meaning they're very self-conscious they think that their partner their husband actually um, might not be comfortable with it their husband actually wants them to get it removed do you guys know any ways to help them lose weight on birth control or maybe just a way to feel more confident well um i have this weight are there any non-hormonal birth control pill or birth control options that work well aside from the iud what about a vasectomy he's owning vasectomy Me too so nice the best thing ever and if they're not uh if children are an option that would be my that would be my suggestion as a non-doctor, but I've been like, <laughs> do get a vasectomy if, if you, you know, know that you don't want to have yeah. any more kids. Mm-hmm. The, the, I did think, and this is me being a very vulnerable, dumb human telling you this right now, Remy, I did think a puff no, of dumb. smoke came out when people had vasectomy <laughs> and they came <laughs> until my partner was like, stuff comes out of there. Yeah. So cool. And the orgasms are just as good, yeah. just as amazing, and nothing bad has come out of his vasectomy and he's like no my sex has been just as good if not better Mm -hmm. so fyi but yeah so people do really well i think men when they come in and they say you know we just had two kids and now i want a vasectomy i'm like it's gonna be so easy i will buy you that pack of frozen peas that you'll (laughs) be putting on your balls for a little bit and your wife's gonna be really happy so um yeah so that is a great option um 
There's non hormonal. Usually, most most docs aren't going to want to do it until um, after age 35. They're going to want to make sure somebody has kids because people change their minds all the time. Um, and then, in terms of non hormonal options, so. Um, in my contraception class at UCSF, uh, one of the first things we're taught about is FAM, which is fertility awareness mm-hmm. method, which can be a bit complex and, and and allows you to really tune into and know your body really well. And that's around, I want to say like 92% effective and so use correctly. And it means that you have to know your body and it also means that you are assuming some risk. And even if you're taking hormonal contraception, you're still assuming some risk because you can still, believe it or not, have an IUD and get pregnant. You can still be on the pill and get pregnant. And with the fertility awareness method, you can um, still get pregnant. But it is it is a realistic option provided you're willing to put in the time and energy to get to know your body and take care of it. So I'm a big fan of that. Speaking to a large weight gain and the Mirena IUD, or if you're talking about a hormonal IUD, um, I wouldn't say that there's as much of the negative effects of hormonal birth control associated with the Mirena because it has a more localized effect than systemic hormonal birth control like pills, like an implant. Um, And so it's one of the um, options with the least amount of side effects. If it is a copper IUD, that exerts part of the mechanism of action is that it exerts an inflammatory reaction onto um, your uterus. And that theoretically could contribute to some of your weight gain in terms of how to lose weight. We want to go back to the basics of of knowing your body making sure you're getting enough sleep enough rest you know sometimes if you've slept four hours that means skipping that workout and letting your body catch up on sleep which can be more important and more beneficial than pushing through the next thing it doesn't mean starving yourself it means giving your body enough food to nourish all and to nourish itself um and there's a whole other litany of things we could go into for for weight loss, but those are some of the the things that I would impress upon people. Yeah. We've done podcasts before about the fertility awareness method. Yeah, and we just we actually the episode's not out yet, uh, but Doctor Jolene Jolene Jolene, Jolene Brighton, <laughs> she was amazing. Um, mm-hmm. She was also such a and. Um, just an amazing advocate for mm. other options outside of hormonal birth control. Uh, so there, that can be a real... Who is the um, whole podcast? The Fertility Friday yeah. podcast, if you want to learn more this about is, the fertility awareness method. Yeah. Lisa Hendrickson. Yeah. She's a really um, yeah. been an advocate in using the fertility awareness method, mm-hmm. uh, both to get pregnant and to not get pregnant mm-hmm. uh, since... 2000, 1999, and she's, yeah, so there are ways. Um, and and now I have to add a little caveat. So, not everybody is a good candidate for the fertility awareness method. So, that would be people with PCOS, which is really pretty darn common. I think it's about one in every 10 women. Um, and it's also it's polycystic ovarian disease. Oh, I don't know. And that's where that. women do not ovulate, and it's associated mm-hmm. with um, people often have really irregular or no periods. It's associated with altered glucose metabolism. People get um, 
uh, hirsutism, which is hair on their chest, on their face, on their neck. Um, and so those people are usually not candidates. But if for you don't ovulate, why would you do fertility awareness methods? Um, because you really want to know your ovulatory oh. cycles. Oh, okay. And so, um, okay. so if you're not ovulating, then you're not able to. And people who have PCOS have a really hard time getting pregnant, yeah. but it still is in the realm of possibility. Okay, it could still happen. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and, not, and the, uh, also with hormonal birth control, like everyone is different in how they respond to it. I think our, next, our last question is related to dosage of birth control too. Um, like not... I mean, you figure out if you are going to be on hormone birth control, you figure out the one that works for you, right? For yeah. this person, whatever they want, obviously doesn't work for them. So many patients who do great on hormonal birth control, and they're like, "Don't ever take that away from me," you know. Um, I have a patient, um, patients who get the um, the Nexplanon, the implant. They love not getting their periods, and they feel good when people are coming to me asking for choices. I wouldn't recommend those heavy progesterone hormonal birth control options like the hormonal implant next planon or like the depo shot um, because it can um, sometimes exacerbate symptoms of depression Mm -hmm. and anxiety sometimes cause skin issues and so it's really personal and then other people are like this is the best thing I come in every three months I get my depo shot I've got my next planon I don't have to think about anything my skin cleared up Mm -hmm. Um, and so when you use those um the birth controls this is just a question that just i I just thought of so you know how every i guess every human has only a certain amount of of eggs to shed right i could have 20 or 200 or however many it is um do do they store those or are they still shed uh they are still shed. So okay. even if you're not ovulating, you still only have a certain amount of eggs. So it's not okay. like you can preserve your fertility. Okay. So that was like a hope. And I think some people were sold that you would preserve your fertility in the, in the amount of eggs. But realistically, no. 95 popping out babies. Yeah, here I go. <laughs> I was on that. So block away y'all until I was 70. Now my babies have like five babies. They're super babies. Yeah. Uh, so conventional <laughs> thought has been you're you're born with a certain number of eggs and then you release your eggs every month and then you kind of use up all your eggs by the time you hit menopause and that's basically what menopause means. Mm, no more um, eggs. I just read an article recently that there's there's actually stem cells or there's thought to be well maybe we don't use up all of our eggs and maybe and so I feel like there's going to be more newly emerging research. Mm-hmm. So that's another. I, that. I donated m- yeah. a bunch of my eggs when I was uh-huh. twenty. So I lost, I don't know, a couple of thousand. You have some little, <laughs> some little baby Aprils around somewhere. No, they n- n- none of them ever took. I never, okay. yeah, okay. I found out later none of them ever took. Okay. I have another friend who donated eggs and she's got like all, like some all kinds of some twins. multi-sets of twins out there. That's exciting. I know that friend. Um, okay, last question. I'll send this one up too since I already read this. My doctor says my birth control, same brand, just higher hormones. Um, and I stopped having orgasms from the birth control or so it seems. Switch back to the old one and I still am having a hard time having orgasms. Do you have any advice? Can birth control affect orgasms? Um, how do I overcome this roadblock? I I have never heard of this happening. Well, have, can I, mean, I can I yeah. attest to that? I know that Remy will have some doctoral knowledge. Uh, f- I was on birth control for so many years when I didn't have a partner with a vasectomy. And I have to say, I had 
and now I'm sure that I'm going to date myself because there's so many different ones. But I was on several, like, orthotricycline, Yasmin. Then I was in the Nuva Ring. And then I did I did the... Um, non-hormonal IUD. Non-hormonal IUD, the copper the copper IUD. Yeah. And then I had a couple of other, other options as well, um, which I can't recall at the moment. And from birth control to birth control, I can tell you, maneuvering never had one orgasm. Oh, really? Yes. On Yaz, I was able to have a lot of orgasms. On orthotricycline, skin broke out, couldn't remember having an orgasm. Oh, my God. I was a crazy person on orthotricycline. I thought I was going to try to kill everyone around. There was another one in there. I can't remember the the name of it. Mm -hmm. And every one was so different. And I don't know. You, Remy, I'm sure will have more. It could have been because of my age variation, too, because it was I was in my early 20s, my teens at one point, and then in my 30s. So I'm sure there's there's variables in all of that in in all of the the applications of birth control. But I can't imagine the amount of hormones yeah. not being an imperative effect on what happens with your orgasm. I mean, I've heard of it affecting the libido and desire, but actual like physiological orgasm. But I mean, it makes sense. I mean, it really makes sense. And here, I think. The, yeah, the and I would say that the most plausible, and you know, this is just off the cuff um, explanation for this is that so hormonal birth control, um, which is generally combined oral contraceptives, a little bit of estrogen and synthetic progesterone suppresses your body's natural progesterone, and so progesterone is like this really lovely hormone that females make that um, helps to stimulate our GABA response. So that's like our really relaxed, feel good um, response. And so then you just have this phony steroid um, progesterone-like hormone that's suppressing your body's own natural kind of feel good hormone. And so the relationship to that and orgasms makes sense to me. That's just a theory um, Mm -hmm. is that we're suppressing our body's own natural. Is the synthetic version progestin? Is that right? Progestin. Progestin. Yeah. Levenogestrel. Yeah. So there's all these different formulations and each one of them is associated with different side effects and some people feel those side effects and some people are like this is the best thing I've ever had and my skin is great my sex is great because I don't have to worry about getting pregnant so I'm having great sex now Mm. so and some do really cause a lot of weight gain water retention longer and some cause you to totally be uh, like looking like you're on the Jenny Crank diet like you don't need food you're like we Jenny Crank I've never heard (laughs) and it's really it's really great to make that connection because some people will come in and they'll be like, I'm bloated and I'm fatigued and da 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 da. And we'll kind of like look at, okay, let's look at everything you're putting in and on your body mm-hmm. and let's like put this whole picture together. And they're like, don't touch my OCBs, I, OCPs. I've been on them, oral contraceptives. Mm-hmm. I've been on those for 15 years. They've always been fine for me. Yeah. Okay. And then I kind of have to be like, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's on their own journey. Yeah, yeah. But I can just. Yeah. tell people what they could try um and it's also hard because there's not a lot of great options for women so well, i was like that forever yeah I was like don't touch don't touch That's, this works for me to get the iud <laughs> the hormonal, and she had been on it for a few years and she's like chip just do it it's no hormones it'll be better for you because i was moving to israel and i wasn't sure if i didn't have health care so i wasn't sure if i could get contraceptive 
contraception over there. Contraceptives. Mm -hmm. Contraceptives. Same, same. Plenty head. Yeah. Okay. I'm saying. You got it. Okay, good. Thank you. Got some margins wine in me. (laughs) It's good wine. It's a good wine. Uh, So. Margeswine.com, everyone. I know. Sign up for her newsletter. Uh, However, I have to say that. You hated it. I, Not the wine. You hated the IUD. I hated the IUD. And it. I, I was telling you before we started recording, Remy, that it made me feel like I was birthing an alien devil child every month because my stomach would be like, and then I'd be like, I can't move. Yeah. And then I would have to basically have a, a heating pad on my, and I'd never had cramps before. And I gained a bunch of weight and it was awful. And when it was removed from me uterus, I felt like a fucking reborn human. I was like, this is the best day of my life. And I felt literally like the best thing ever. And then she's like, fuck you, Amy. Yeah. And you're not the only one because there's multiple people that I recommended. I didn't blame you. I just thought you were just such a boss for like being able to tolerate it. I have have a a high pain tolerance. Everybody's also a little bit of a masochist. So I should have warned people. I have a high pain tolerance. I broke my arm didn't even like in two places and didn't even really flinch. I like me some fucked up shits. I'm sorry. And as somebody who puts these in women a couple times a month <laughs> okay My I counsel them where I'm like you are not stuck with this yeah. some people love it yeah. some people they're like I want that monthly yeah. period yeah. this helps me feel normal I generally will recommend a Paragard copper IUD for people who have um, light really easy periods mm-hmm. already yeah. if somebody has cramps I'm like oh probably not the best one for you oh, yeah. um and people love it. Sometimes people can have copper zinc imbalances, and so their body just gets copper overloaded. I recommend yeah, copper for anybody on hormonal birth control, or actually anybody who walks in my door. I want to give everybody magnesium. Um, so I just am like, take magnesium and B vitamins for well, almost like whatever ails you. As a, take these things every day, as especially a with hormonal, yeah. especially with hormonal. As a woman, as Remy, so what? What kind of birth control do you use? You don't have to share if you don't want to. But what what would you? She has a vasectomy partner. Oh, but yeah. I've had so a couple of marinas that I love. Okay, yeah. So before that, I'd been through the gamut. I think I started on. Um, oral, I just call them OCPs, birth control pills. When I was a teenager, my mom was like, you're getting these. I'm not getting a pregnant daughter. And it was great. But then I remember screaming at my mom. She's like, it's not you. It's the pills. (laughs) You want an excuse. Get on the pill. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, And so now I look back and I'm like, wow, I had a a lot of emotional ability. Um, And so now I'm like, huh, was that the birth control pills? And now, you know, know part of my job is I do a fair amount of um, psychiatry and mental wellness checks for people and sometimes distinguishing is this you is this yeah. teenage angst or is this other hormonal influences and so um, I use those I use the Nuvering, um, you know and each one uses a slightly different form of progesterone um, and it's mostly all estradiol there's a couple different formulations in there and then I got the Marina IUD actually when we had the governator Arnold Schwarzenegger and they were making all those cuts and I was like I better get something to cover before me for five years before I can't get my birth control yeah, and that's when I got it and, um, and they, they remember it hurting really bad to get in I remember feeling really really crampy and then going over to a friend's house afterwards and she was like well you should try labor I was like okay I'll shut up yeah, I'll stick with um, yeah. Yeah. and then I, I've, I've had a couple of them a couple marine IUDs and they worked really well for me 
And then um, that was my commitment to my partner was getting my IUD out uh, in March. It was just due to come out and I was just going to get another one in. But I got it out and it was really easy to get out. And And, uh, my, yeah, and he's had a vasectomy and my periods have come back and they're two or three days, easy peasy. Mm -hmm. I take a lot of magnesium. I try to take care of myself and um, it hasn't been an issue. My partner keeps asking like, do you notice anything different? You're liberated, you know, and I did call it liberating my pelvis. I love your feminist partner. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know your partner, but I love him. Yeah, you would love him. Yeah, I love him too. Is he listening? I love you. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) What's his name? Quinn. Oh, hey, Quinn. We love you. We love you. Say his name. She did. She can say his name. She can do what she wants. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Hey, Quinn. We love you in your feminist ways. Yeah, we do. I want to. I want to hang out with Brammy. Maybe I should. (laughs) I'm your neighbor. Well, I don't have insurance right now, but maybe when I get insurance, do you want to hang out with Brammy just so you? Medical is awesome insurance. No, Um, I typically go to the doctor's office and hang out. No, this is true. (laughs) But I think you can just invite me over to come use the hot tub. Yeah, that's true. But hey, I have an exam table in my bedroom. Would you mind giving me a quick exam? Just kidding. I've had friends. I get yeah. weird with stuff. Yeah. Obviously the trauma. And Absolutely. The that's very, so, very yeah. real. And yeah. that's why part of why I love my job is I'm like, I want to make this a safe place to really help you live your best life. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. yeah. Well, now to this podcast, work. you might blow up in Santa Cruz and now I'm never going to get to see you. <laughs> for giving people Remy's contact. Okay. Well, <laughs> sorry, people. If you want Remy's contact. Like, like, most guests in the podcast have like a plug. Like, oh, and here's like a workshop I'm offering or here's how you can work with me. But like, this is just your, I don't think you're like, looking for more. Oh, I will say, okay, so I am building my practice and I will say I have no shortage of patients um, across the spectrum, but that I love doing women's health and helping women on their path. So um, they can come in and establish care and then they would see our whole team as needed. Um, So that's what Dignity Health and Mission Street. Santa uh, Cruz. And Santa Cruz. Yeah. So it's Remy. uh, How do you spell your last name? It's P-A-I-L-L-E. Yes. Also known mm-hmm. as Dr. Remy. Also known as Nurse Practitioner. And a lot of people Dr. Remy. That's my dubstep. Impression. All right. This was awesome. I absolutely loved I mean, I don't even know. This could be like a two-hour podcast at this point. I know. Yeah. So thank you, Remy. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was amazing. I your dog was awesome. Her dog Dash is here. Yeah. It's an okay to name you name barking. He told me. That was April's <laughs> My little dog was barking like a little beast ninja <laughs> that he is. Um, and I love you, Amy. I love you too, Chip. Yeah, you're nice. I love <laughs> you, ladies. And I, I recommend your podcast to my patients. You know? oh, so your yeah. patients are listening. They're like, oh, my doctor's on here. Hey, Remy's patients. <laughs> hey, Remy's patients. I wonder if Remy's patients do. <laughs> if all of you, Remy's patients, or folks that are listening, avid listeners, or maybe new listeners, could just go to iTunes and search for Shameless Sex Podcast. Give us five stars. It just helps more folks find our advice, our information. Amazing experts like Remy quicker, easier, faster. And we love you. We read every single one of your reviews and we adore our listeners. We send you love every night before we go to bed and when we wake up in the morning too. Sometimes in the middle of the day. (laughs) Sometimes in the middle of the day. All the time. All the time. All the thanks. All the time. We love you. And thank you, shameless sex revolutionaries. Ciao for now. Bye. 
Don't forget to head on over to our website at shamelesssex.com for more. And for 15% off of some of our favorite sex toys, use coupon code SHAMELESSPP in all caps at purepleasureshop.com.